Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. For you. Want to, uh, as we talk about Easter and talk about the Easter season, one of the things I like about this season is that the emphasis shifts to Jesus. Even in the secular world, people are talking about Easter and they're talking and you see Jesus and you hear Jesus mentioned more. And so it's a, it's a great time to begin to shift our focus. And for the next uh, couple of weeks, I want to talk about on the way to the cross and some lessons we can learn from Jesus on the way to the cross. Now, here's the beautiful thing. When we look at Jesus in the Bible, we're not just simply looking at him from a historical perspective. We're looking at him from the perspective of he's our model, he's our example. And it's the best way to look at him as realizing that he's our example for life and for living. So here's, here's my question to you. What's your model? What do you follow? Are you, uh, you hear about business models, people that model after a certain type of business structure, or you hear about people who have church models. You know, there are different church models that you could follow. But we all have models that we follow. You know, I, I think one of the, the biggest models that we follow is parents. That a, a lot of us just have followed our, our parents and, you know, they, we follow what they teach us directly and also their example. But their model is strong. Uh, Laura Albright wrote about her daughter. She said they moved way out into the country. She said there were no neighbors close by. And her concern was if something happened to her that her three-year-old daughter needed to know what to do. And so she taught her about if something happens to mommy, here's 911, here's how you call it. So she gave her the instructions. And uh, then she tested her. So she said, okay, if you come in and you see mommy lying on the floor and you can't wake mommy up, what do you do? And Laura said that she could see that little three-year-old brain that was working. And finally she brightened. She said, I would go into the kitchen and eat anything I wanted. <laughs> we try to help them, but don't we? We try to teach. We try, we try to do it. And I, and I tell you, a lot of that is is what we have accumulated over the years. Have you ever found yourself doing some of the very same things that your parents did and you swore you weren't going to do it? I, I grew up in a, in a home where both my parents had gone, they're both in heaven now, so I get to tell all their stories. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a home where both of them had gone through the depression. Both of them had, had suffered food shortages. And so in my home, it was like the cardinal sin to not eat your food. And if you didn't eat your food, it was like, oh man, it was horrible. And so, I mean, this, this is really old school. I, I will tell you this, don't call CPS. But <laughs> if I did not eat my food by the time everyone else finished, I got it in the morning for breakfast. That's how serious they were about this. And my, my parents would give me onions. I hate onions. I just hate them. You say, well, that's a strong word. If you've got a stronger word, give it to me because I, I, I hate onions. And, my, and I would like, I don't want to eat this. And my dad would go, son, this is not a cafeteria. Your mother made it. You're going to eat it. So I thought to myself, man, I'm never going to do that. So we fast forward to where Matt's sitting down at the table and uh, he decided he didn't want to eat his slaw. Usually Matt ate everything that wasn't nailed down. And so he's like, I, I, I don't want to eat this. I, 
actually looked at him and said, son, this is not a cat for two. Oh, what am I, what am I, what am I saying? Oh my God. And I realized that especially with our parents and that model, more is caught than taught. And so oftentimes we'll find ourselves modeling how they parented, how they did their relationships. Now we've got also people have a model of following famous people, entertainers and athletes. That's why marketers use famous people to sell stuff because people follow them. I think some of the actors have caught some heat for really pumping up cryptocurrency, especially when it dived or some of those companies went out. And yet marketers understand that people will follow famous people. Challenge with following famous people is you don't always know the background, you don't always know their life. There's a, now that we have the internet and we have social media and we have followers, you can follow certain people. One, of, uh, one young man had a following of, if you looked at all his different platforms, had a following of over five million people. He's a former kickboxer from Britain. His name was Andrew Tate. And Andrew was presented a lifestyle of where he really was pumping an ultra, ultra masculine, ultra lavish lifestyle, very contemptuous of women. He just had a real misogynist kind of mentality toward women, treated women with contempt, said they did not deserve honor, treated them almost like property. It was, it was horrible. But he had like 5 million followers. He had 600,000 individuals who were part of his, what he called Hustlers University, teaching them how to make money. They charged him $45 a month. I did the math, $27 million every month coming in. And you're thinking, well, is that someone you should follow? Obviously not. The Romanian police arrested him in December and charged him with rape, human trafficking, and organized crime. And you've got five million people, a lot of young men, following him. And so the challenge today is, who do you follow? I got the best model to follow. Let's follow the one who we don't have to worry about his background, we don't have to worry about his future. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's the one that we can follow. Look what, he, look what he said here. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I don't know that we talk enough about the fact that we are not just in a religion. We're not just in a, a, a mentality or a philosophy. We're actually following someone who is worthy to be followed. His heart, his motives, his strength, his resolve, his compassion, his kindness. He's someone we could follow every step of the way. And in the darkness that we're dealing with, in this present darkness we're, we're dealing with, he's the one know, we can know he's the light. He's the one that he's never going to put us out in darkness. Some people say, well, you know, Alan, Jesus is too perfect. I can't follow Jesus. He's, he's perfect and I'm not. Yeah, but I'd rather shoot high and miss it than shoot low and make it. And so following someone like him, you're not going to wind up in darkness. You got to watch who you follow. You know, uh, my wife, Joy, a lot of people say, is she really that way? If you've been around her, she is really as sweet as she comes off. She's bona fide sweet, bona fide spiritual, wonderful speaker, godly woman, spiritual woman, no sense of direction. Her sense of direction is one notch above a dead homing pigeon. It's just, she has no sense of direction. GPS was made for joy. So years ago, we're out walking in the mountains of North Carolina 
And Joy just was feeling pretty frisky that day. And she's like, I want to lead. And I'm like, evidently she didn't like the view from behind. I'm like, well, go ahead. You just, you go ahead and lead. And so she said she was just so happy and she was leading us down this trail. And I noticed that the trail kept getting harder. And you know, all of a sudden now we're going through some tall weeds like this. And then we're going across a, a stream. And then I knew we were on the wrong track when we hit this embankment that's like pure vertical. I'm having to push her up so we can get over it. I'm thinking, this is not the hiking trail. And we, we got up to the top and I looked around. Man, we're way off the path. We're in the highway. There's a strip mine. It's like, what in the world? I said, learn a lesson. Joy no longer leads. I let us back down, got us in, in the right direction, learned a lesson. I'm not following Joy when it comes to hiking. A lot of other areas I can follow her, not going to follow her when it comes to hiking or directions or driving or anything like that. It doesn't work that way. But if you follow Jesus Christ, you are not going to wind up in the wrong place. You're not going to wind up in the dark. You're not going to wind up going, where in the world am I? How is this even working? We follow him you wind up in a good spot. So let's take a look at what happened right before the cross. There's some great lessons we can learn as Jesus is heading for the cross. He knows what he's heading for, and, and it's found here. Now, when it came to pass, when, when the time had come for him to be received up, in other words, for him to go back to heaven, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. The Samaritans didn't. Because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. In, in Israel, you had, you had down here, you had uh, Judea, which where Jerusalem, and then up here you had Galilee, which is where Jesus grew up. And in the middle, between the two, was Samaria. Samaritans were um, half Jewish. They were a mixed breed. Their religion was a little bit different. They still worshiped the same God, but they had, it was real religious. I mean, if you think the Aggies and Longhorns don't like each other, this was nothing compared to that. There, there was some serious, serious prejudice on both sides. And so as Jesus set his face, he made a determination that he was going to fulfill God's plan. That's the first thing we see about Jesus. He said is he's, he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. He knew his time was coming. But guys, he knew going to Jerusalem did not mean it was going to be a, a picnic. This was going to be hard because he knew he would be betrayed. He knew he would be arrested. He knew he would be mocked. He knew he would be beaten. He knew he was going to the cross. Now, any, any one of those is enough to want to make you avoid that. But the Bible said that Jesus set his face. What, what's that mean? It means there was a resolve there. He knew what he was stepping into and he didn't avoid it. And he didn't procrastinate. He faced into it. He made a difficult decision knowing what was going to happen. Knowing it wasn't going to be easy, but it was going to be right. But then when, he, when the Samaritans came, and again, that animosity between the two, oftentimes if, if a Jewish person was heading towards Jerusalem with their face just in the direction of Jerusalem, the Samaritans would actually turn their back. They would reject them. And 
they, re they just flat rejected Jesus. He'd never done anything wrong to them. He'd actually been very kind to them. And yet they rejected him outright. And man, that made James and John mad. But Jesus did not respond to the Samaritans in the same manner that they responded to him. He did not respond on their level. And he didn't respond on James and John's level. He didn't look at James and John. James and John, man, they were, man, they're mad. You know, someone, some, someone doesn't like Jesus. They're not, they're not accepting Jesus. Yeah, I know that we're, we got scripture for this. We're going to call fire down, just like Elijah did, and just consume this whole village. <laughs> just blow them up. And they're thinking, that's a good idea. We're going to protect Jesus. This is wrong. And Jesus didn't look at them and go, go ahead, guys, give it your best shot. He didn't, he didn't punish the Samaritans. He didn't curse the city. And even though he was about to face a pressure situation, he didn't respond out of that. He responded in a higher way. I don't know about you. Have you ever been when you know you're facing something difficult? You ever get that mentality of everyone just leave me alone. I know what I got to do. And Jesus could have very easily been that way. But he didn't do that. He didn't respond to James and John. He didn't respond to how the Samaritans responded to him. He responded on a higher level. He didn't punish them. He wasn't hard on them. He just moved on. They didn't accept him. He moved on to the next place. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He never lost sight of what his purpose was. He knew why he was on the earth. He knew he had come not to destroy lives. He knew he had come to save lives. And so he had, a, he had a purpose about him that was bigger than the problems that he faced. His purpose, purpose was so big that the problems he was encountering did not stop him or, or keep him from going to his, to his thing. So he, they just moved on. And he went, he went ahead, went to Jerusalem, and went to the cross. But he did not allow that Samaritan situation to stop him. And he didn't respond in like manner. Now, what, what can we learn from that? Lessons on the way to the cross is lessons we can learn because remember, Jesus is not just someone we look at and go, wow, that's Jesus and he's wonderful. Jesus is someone who speaks to our life as to how to live. Remember, Jesus said, if you'll follow me, you'll not walk in darkness, you'll have the light of life. You'll wind up in the light. So what does winding up in the light look like? Well, for, for Jesus, if we're gonna follow him, one of the things we have to do is we're gonna have to make a determination a quality decision that we are going to fulfill God's plan. A quality decision that whatever we begin to see and read in the scriptures, whatever we begin to know about Jesus, that we're going to fulfill that. And we're going to fulfill that plan. Now, a quality decision is a decision that you make and you go, I'm making this determination and I'm not... It starts thundering and lighting, guys. Just watch out here. But uh, it, it's a quality decision that we make that says this, that says, I'm making this decision. I'm determined. I've got some resolve here. I always suggest if, if you want to make church a part of your life, don't make the decision on Sunday morning. Because on Sunday morning, you're going to wake up. And you, have you ever had this conversation? You want to go this morning? I don't know. Do you want to go? I don't know. What, do you, what about you? Do you want to go? I don't know. Do you want to go? And they go, 
Well, how was it last week? It wasn't that good. How's it going to be this week? I don't know if it's going to be that good. I don't know. There's a, there's a thousand and one things, and you'll talk yourself out of it. You know, the kids are fussy. I'm fussy. You know, it's raining. It's not raining. It's, it's beautiful. There's a lot of reasons. The best way, if you're going to make a quality decision, is going to go, you know what? We're going to go. Make the decision on Thursday before you get to Sunday. And then it makes it a lot easier to be a part of that. But here's the beautiful thing about it. If we're going to, if we're going to follow the Lord, then we're going to have to make decisions, determine decisions to do not what's easy, but to do what's right. Sometimes I've heard people say Christianity is for weak people. That is totally wrong. It takes strength to walk in Christianity. And it takes, it's a strong man's gospel. And we have to make the decision and we're going to do what's right. You, you know what that kind of looks like? I tell you what, sometimes to do what's right is we have to forgive people we really don't want to forgive. We have to maybe apologize and make peace when you don't want to make peace. We have to avoid things that we know are sin and we know are going to hurt us. And we have to say no to that. I didn't say that's easy. I said it's the right thing. But you make a determination. God, I want to follow your plan. I want to follow you. Now, this a lot of times, it's not the big decisions. It's not... I'm, God, I'm going to follow your plan to be a missionary. God, I'm going to follow your plan to quit my job and go into ministry. It's those small decisions. Recently, I uh, had a situation where I, I, Joy told me, and I knew that I needed to apologize. And I didn't want to. I know I'm the only one that's ever felt that way. But I'm just like, I'm indignant. I'm like, they need to apologize to me. And I just, and, and Joy... <laughs> Joy, as sweet as she is, she don't mind laying out the truth. She looked at me and she goes, you need to apologize. And I responded with, nuh-uh. <laughs> oh. Have you ever noticed whenever you're going, nuh-uh, usually you're in the wrong? Usually the wronger I am, the louder I protest. And so I finally got to the place where I, I just said, that's the right thing to do. Wasn't an easy thing to do. I didn't feel like doing it, but I did it and it brought peace. And so the idea is if we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to have to make decisions to do things that are not always easy, but they're right. And that's where we want to stand. Because if we're going to be Christ-like, we have to make Christ-like decisions. Let me show you a verse that I don't know if it's up on everybody's refrigerator, but we'll go ahead and show you this one. Look at this. Then he said to the crowd, this is Jesus speaking, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. There is, there is the principle. This is why I'm saying Christianity is not the easiest route. It's the best route. It's the, it's the most value route. It's the most charactered route. But there'll be times when you have to say, I am giving up my ways and I'm following God, not because it's easy, but because it's right. Years ago when I was in sales, I worked for a company and we had a sales deal. It's a pretty big one that was coming up. And I was talking with one of my sales managers about it. And he looked at me and he said, Alan, you need to tell them this. Well, telling them this meant that I would have to lie. But it was a big deal and I needed a sale. And so your mind is going through, are you going to do this? Is anybody got to know? Maybe they won't know. But then the bottom line is God knows. And if I'm a follower of Christ, I'm going to have to make decisions that honor him, not the best thing for me. And so I looked, I looked at my sales manager and I said, I'm not doing it. I said, I'm not lying. He got mad at me. I didn't get the sale, but I got something on the inside 
that's a lot more valuable. You get the character and the strength and the peace and the Christ-likeness, and I know I please the Lord, and if I'm pleasing the Lord, then when I need him, I know that I'm, on the, I'm in right standing. Does that make sense? And so it gives you an ability, if we want to be Christ-like, then we're going to have to make Christ-like decisions, and sometimes that means doing not what's easy, not what feels good, but doing what's right, doing what's best. There's a, another one that comes, and here's, here's the second one. We're going to learn from Jesus. We have to learn to respond to people on a higher level. What do you mean respond on a higher level? I mean, it's so easy when someone hits you to hit back. Someone says something about you, say something back. Someone rejects you, you shut them down. And that, that's, that, that's how road rage takes place. Someone cuts you off, you get in front of them and cut them off. And then they cut you it, it's, it's, it's the hit back. It's the clap back. And that's, it's so easy to respond that way. But that's not the way we're called to respond. We're called to respond on a higher level. We're, because we're different. Because when we made Jesus our Lord, we're not the same people that we used to be. We're new creations. We've changed. And because we've changed, we need now to walk in God's wisdom. Let me show you what James says God's wisdom is. It says the wisdom that's from above. This is, this is from heaven. This is God's wisdom. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Leave that up there just for a moment. Here's a, here's a warning I have for us as a church. I believe in this coming year, in 2024, we're going to probably engage in the nastiest election we've ever had as a country. It is not looking good. And so what we're about to engage in it's not going to be good. Now, here's the thing. It's a, this is a, I don't like this party. They don't like this party. And, and we've got to walk differently. We've got to walk in this kind of wisdom. Pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. Listen, guys, people say, well, Alan, I believe we should save America. I'm interested in saving Americans. And so the idea behind that is, we're not going to divide up into Democrats and Republicans. We're going to keep this on a kingdom of God basis. That means anyone can come and anyone can come in there and we'll say, well, because I got, I got news for you. I got, if we're going to be a light in this area, then we need to be a light for God, not a light for a political party. Yes. And here's another thing too. I, I'm going to go out on a limb, but you check me in heaven if I'm wrong. There are not going to be segregated parts of heaven of the Democrats and Republicans, and they're going to ask you when you come in, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Well, and some of you don't even think the other party's going to go to heaven. And so, <laughs> guys, we got, we got to walk in the wisdom of God. We have to operate in the wisdom of God. Someone needs to do it. Why not those of us who he's redeemed, who he's changed, who he died for, who he's made a difference in. Let's walk in God's wisdom. That's going to make a difference in our area, a big difference. And that will help. So here's, here's the last one. It's, the, it's this. It's a bigger purpose makes problems in perspective. Can you put that up there, guys? Bigger purpose makes problems smaller. The bigger the purpose, the smaller the problem. What do you mean by that? Problems still come? Yes. But problems, when your purpose is bigger, your problems gets, get in perspective. For example, have you ever noticed how much you get done the week before you have to go on vacation? 
how productive you are. I mean, you're like, we're going on vacation. Bless God, I don't care what comes my way. There's a fire, we're still going. There's a flood, we're still going. There's problems, we're still going. Because when you're going on vacation, heaven and earth can pass away, but you're still going. And so it's gonna be a, it's gonna be, why? Because you have a bigger purpose. And when the purpose is bigger, then the problems go into perspective. You handle them differently. I, uh, I'm a basketball fan and during this season, this is tournament time, I read about an interesting interchange that took place a couple of days ago on the women's team, LSU versus Utah. They got down to the last 12 seconds and the girl from LSU was fouled. Her name was Alexa Morris. And Alexis was, their, their team was down by one point. And she goes to the, to the free throw line shooting two free throws and her opportunity to put her team in the lead. She said when she got there, her first thing was breathe, breathe, breathe. But then she said something I've never heard an athlete say. She said, but then I looked at my coach and I looked at my teammates. She said, and I realized in that moment, this is not about me. This is about my progr the program. This is about the fans. She said, and it calmed me down because they believe in me. She, she drained two and put her team up by one point. Eight seconds later, a young lady from Utah was fouled, going to the line with two shots. The chance, she's down by one point, the chance with four seconds left to put her team up by one. She dribbles the ball, she shoots, she shoots an air ball. Now, if you're a basketball fan, you know on a free throw, it's rare to shoot an air ball. You really alligator arm that one to make it a, a, a she just, I mean, that's just a, a huge choke. And then she missed the second one. And they asked her later on, they said, she was talking, she felt horrible, her team lost. And she felt horrible. And she said, I, I, I guess I just got in my head. And I thought, man, what a, what a difference. One player over here is going, it's not about me. It's about my team and my teammates and, and our program and my, my coach. The other ones over here is like, I, I'm, I'm in my head. I'm in my head on this. And guys, that, that really is, the, that's what we're talking about. When your life is bigger than just you and protecting you and your family and what everything and everything is all about you. If it's always about you, you will always have problems. But if you can begin to look out and tap into a bigger purpose and a bigger reason, I'm here to be a representative of Jesus Christ. I'm here to be a blessing in my, com in my community, to my family, to the people I work with. All of a sudden your purpose just got bigger as opposed to being in your head and it's just thinking it's, it's, it's all about me. When the purpose is bigger, the problems are smaller. And so what we learn from that is, well, well people argue with that. They go, well, Alan, you've got to look out for number one. And I agree with that. You do. But when you made Jesus your Lord, you got a brand new number one. And this is what he said. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We owe everything to the one who died for us and took us away from an eternity in hell to an eternity with him, and that makes all the difference in the world. We live for him who died for us. And in that, we make decisions that aren't the easiest, but they're right. And in that is strength and peace and grace and access to him. It's a different way to live. Lord, I'm living for you. My confidence is in you. 
I know you'll take care of me. Monty Williams is a, was the, called the original horse whisperer. He was involved in horses growing up and, and used to be when they would train horses, they would break them. And breaking a horse, taking a wild horse and break it, a lot of times they use whips, they use a lot of force, and they would actually force a horse into submission. They, would, they were rough on these horses and they would dominate these horses until the horses finally figured out, okay, okay, I'm gonna submit, that's the only safe place. Something about that didn't sit well with Monty Williams. And as he observed wild horses out in nature, he observed that wasn't the way to go. And he actually formed a new way of doing, of training horses that did not involve breaking. He called it join up. And they said Monty Williams could walk into a round pen with a wild horse and ride him out 30 minutes later. He had an amazing way of dealing with him, but it's interesting what he did. What Monty would do was he would go in and he would create an environment that communicated to that horse respect and the fact that Monty was not going to hurt that horse. He said, but then he also was gonna give the horse a choice. You can follow me if you want, but you don't have to. And after spending some time with the horse, he said Monty would turn his back to the horse and he would walk away. Now the horse has a decision. And a lot of times you get to see the horse thinking, do I go with him? Do I stay here? Is this the safe place? Is this not? He said so many times the horse would drop his head, which in horse language is submission, and trot right up beside Monty. I like that. I like that not breaking. But when I read that, I thought, that's what God does with us. God isn't going to break us force us to follow him. What he does is create an environment where he reveals his love toward us and that he sent Jesus to die for us. And then he reveals the dignity that we have in his sight, that we can be his children. But then he gives us a choice. He says, you can follow me if you want. You don't have to. But I tell you what, that's the smartest decision we'll ever make. Because if we follow him, we're going to wind up not in the darkness, we're going to wind up in the light. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And please, no one leaving or moving will be out of here in just a moment if you came and you said, Alan, I've never made the decision to follow the Lord. Or I made that decision a while back and I got away from him. And I know that and he knows that. So this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity. We're not going to have you stand or not going to have you come to the front. But sitting right where you are in your chair watching online, this is your opportunity. If you've never made Jesus your Lord or you know you need to come back to him, then this prayer is for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. But if that's you that I'm talking to, and you say, you know what, I do want to follow him. I do want, or I want to come back to him. Would you slip your hand up real quickly across this auditorium? Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Now, maybe you didn't lift your hand. You really wanted to. That's all right. God sees hearts. He sees hands. But we're going to pray this prayer together as a church family. You pray it with us out loud. We're going to pray with you. If you're watching online, you can, if you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. Pray this out loud. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus, 
My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, with heads still bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, thank you. For those who, who made that decision, those who prayed that prayer, those, Father, who decided to come back or to come to you for the very first time, we rejoice with them. It's the best decision they'll ever make. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful plans that you have for them and for the rest of us. Thank you we can make decisions. Thank you we can choose to do and live and operate on a higher level. Thank you that we can have a purpose that's bigger than the problems in our life. Thank you for that, Lord. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.